Amen. You may be seated. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 12. We are in the midst of a study in the book of Romans. Since God said, let there be light. That's how long we've been in it. No, we're, we're not. We're taking our time working our way through. We want to at least sufficiency, sufficiently look at it. We in no ways are exhausting it, nor could we ever. But this morning, we're going to look in, back in chapter 12. And I'm going to read from verses 9 to 21. And then we'll look at verses 14 to 16 as we begin a section of what I've entitled Persecuted Love. But look in, look in God's, God's Word at Romans 9, Romans 12, verse 9. We're still unfolding what genuine love looks like. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's far God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now and just pray that you would recalibrate us with your word. That your spirit would illumine and apply your truth. That you would help me to preach your word and help us to hear your word in the power of the spirit. May you be glorified. May we be edified through the very word of God. So grant us to receive it as the Word of God. Delight in it. Purpose to live in its light. Purpose to shine like lights in this dark world in which you have placed us with a purpose, with a mission. So help us, Lord Jesus, to be like you. Lord, bless me to preach your Word and preach it truly, accurately. May the Spirit attend the preaching of the Word so that your people are called to faith and grown in grace. Bless the preaching and the hearing of the Word of God. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray for it and trust for it. Amen. Peter Miller was a pastor of Bethany Reformed Church in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, during the American Revolution. He was a friend of George Washington. Also in Ephrata, 
there was a man named Michael Whitman. He was an evil man. He was a British sympathizer. And he did all he could do to oppose and humiliate this pastor. In fact, at one point, he punched and spit on this pastor. We know that uh, Michael Whitman later um, fled to the British and, I guess, signed up to be a spy for them and was eventually caught and convicted. He was arrested for treason and he was sentenced to die. Pastor Miller walked 70 miles to Philadelphia to plead for the life of the traitor. His enemy, the man who had punched him and spit on him and rejected the gospel. General Washington said to him, his friend, he said, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, Miller exclaimed, he's the bitterest enemy I have. What? Washington replied, you have walked 70 miles to save the life of your enemy because of your commitment to Christ. That puts things into an entirely different light for me. I grant your pardon. And he did. and gave him the pardon. Pastor Miller walked another 20 miles to deliver that pardon. And when he arrived, Mr. Whitman was standing at the gallows for execution. And even pointed out Pastor Miller. He saw him and said, look who's come to mock me in my death. But Pastor Miller waves the pardon, halts the execution, goes up and gives that pardon to the authorities. He arrived and delivered that pardon right as this man, his enemy, was about to be executed. Pastor Miller took Michael Whitman back home to Ephrata, no longer an enemy, but a friend. Today, we're going to talk about, we're going to begin to talk about treating enemies as friends. See, we've been studying the book of Romans, and, and we've seen from the book of Romans that we're all fall short. As Corey talked about in Sunday school this morning, what does it mean to fall short? We have all sinned. What does that mean? It means that we have all violated His commandments in thought, word, Indeed, we have lied and coveted and looked on others with lust and not have him as our only God. We've not done what we've done out of a desire to glorify him because we love him. And we could go down the list. But Paul in Romans says, in light of the commandments of God, Jew and Gentile are under condemnation. Why? Because there's none good, none righteous, not even one. And it would have been just for God to leave us that way. But... Before the foundation of the world, He had planned redemption. And He now sent His Son to be the manifestation of the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ perfectly kept all of the commands of God in thought, word, and deed. And then He died on the cross to pay the penalty for His sins. He took the condemnation that was due every one of us. And the outflow of that is... Yes, we are cleansed through faith. As God works His, it works faith in us. The Spirit through the Gospel works faith in our hearts such that we turn from running from God and pursuing sin to receiving God and as our God and trusting in Jesus as our Savior. And through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are, our record of sin is obliterated. We are cleansed from all sin. And Christ's record of righteousness is credited to us so that before the judgment bar of God, our record reads righteous. And therefore, God declares us righteous and accepts us as children of God. And He begins transforming us at that point into the image of 
His Son. See, chapters 1 through 11 have shown us the sovereign mercies of God in saving a people through His Son by faith alone. And in the midst of that discussion in chapter 5, it tells us that Christ came to die for His enemies. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and raised the third day according to the Scriptures. And salvation is through trusting in Jesus. So the question then is asked at the beginning of chapter 12. So, I have trusting in this Jesus. What should my life look like now? And we begin to unfold the therefores of the gospel. We begin to see this is what God calls us to. And this is what God works in us in the hearts of those that he truly saves. There are those who make a false and shallow profession of faith that never changes their life. And it is a false faith. The soul that God justifies, he sanctifies. We are in, we are expanding more on what we talked about in chapter six and all about sanctification. And we've seen it and we want to ask the question, what should my life look like? Because Christ has lived, died, been raised and is reigning for me, who has accepted me and saved me. And therefore, Paul turned the corner in chapter 12 when he said in verse one, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers or brothers and sisters, that's brethren, general use by the mercies of God. That's chapters one through 11 to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, one that is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we've really been unfolding that as we've been studying in chapter 12 about not being conformed to the world, but being conformed by his word and being therefore humble and gracious and servants. We are ones in whom he is working genuine love. Verse nine. And genuine love abhors what is evil and holds fast to what is good. And we've talked about that. I point you back to previous sermons. This today we begin to sort of transition to talk about persecution. And what, okay, what does genuine love look like if I'm in the midst of persecution? Well, we know that love's always God first and then man, right? So, God is going to continue to work love in my heart for him, even in the midst of persecution. And he's going to continue to work love in my heart for my brothers and sisters in the midst of persecution, so that all those things remain true of me. But he's going to work enemy love in my heart. Like Christ. Christ is not calling us to anything that he hasn't already walked through. And so you have to accept this fact. If you're in Christ now, you were not always in Christ. And there was a time when you were enemy of Christ. And that Christ loved His enemies. And that's now what He calls us to. So I titled this Persecuted Love. This is really kind of part one of Persecuted Love. We're going to look at verses 14 to 16 and begin this section of what genuine love in the midst of persecution looks like. In America... We don't know much about persecution. And I'm thankful for that. Right? I'm thankful that we're not being killed and slaughtered because of our testimony to Christ. We think we know what persecution's like, don't we? Because maybe somebody talked bad about us or rejected us because of our faith in Christ. Maybe they didn't because you're not talking about it. That's a whole other sermon. I won't beat you up on that one today. We've got enough in front of us. But we this think of this as training for when it comes, because listen to me, apart from a revival in America, it's coming. It's here. It's growing. And it's going to get a lot worse. It's going to test his church. It's going to purify his church. But those who truly know Christ are are going to be those who ones who stand like those Hebrew young men in the threat of burning in the oven. They will stand and say, God is able to deliver us, but even if not, we will not deny him. Persecution will heighten in this land. And listen to me, brother, our brothers and sisters around the world are dying even today for their profession in Christ. So we're going to look at what does genuine love look like in the midst of persecution. I'm taking my watch off. Y'all know what that means, right? Nothing. Um, it means I'm going to do baptism and I don't want to forget it. Um, 
So here's our main point. Genuinely loves him. Trying to keep this connected. We're, uh, we're expanding upon and talking about what genuine love really is. Christ, what, what saved love looks like. What, what Christ-like love looks like. The kind of love that God works in the hearts of those he saves. And today the main point is this. Genuinely love your enemies and your brothers and sisters in the midst of persecution. First, genuinely love your enemies in the midst of persecution. Look back at verse 14. Now, remember, we're not separating this from all the mercies. It's like when you study Ephesians. Don't go study Ephesians and start in chapter 4. Because chapters 4 through 6 are all the commands that are based on what he's done for us in chapters 1 through 3. So we keep it context in the context of his grace, even if we don't say it. Paul doesn't always take the time to say, now, remember... The gospel. Writers of good books don't always take time to say, remember the gospel. But we know that those writers are sound from other things they've written. So we trust what they say when they put in God's commands before us. This is what life should look like if I know Jesus and I'm in the midst of persecution. Look at verse 14. Bless. This is so contra the flesh. Nothing tests us. Right? Because southern boys want to give you a good sock in the eye if you persecute them. I, I promise you, I used to live that life. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Notice the, the, the way that's put together. Do you know what that is when it says bless those who persecute you? Is that is he saying, OK, now, listen, if you really want to get on another level with me and if you really if this seems like a good idea to you, why don't you try blessing those who persecute you? <clears throat> this is a command. It's an explicit command in the original. It's not a suggestion. By the way, the gospel is not a suggestion. Acts chapter 17, God commands all people to repent because he's sent his son. He's not playing. But look at this. On the basis of His grace and His work in me and the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in me, empowering me to do this. He says, because of who you are, this living sacrifice who is loved and accepted, in whom I have planted genuine love and caused to rejoice and be patient in trouble and all the things we've looked at. He said, here's one of the characteristics I'm working in you and calling you to with this command. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. A couple of other texts you might be familiar with. Matthew five forty three to 45. Jesus said, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's easy for us, isn't it? That's the natural default. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Or Luke 6, 27 and 29. Part of this is our memory verse for this week. Look look at this. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good. Look, do good. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other also. From one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. There's a story of a champion boxer who was converted, radically converted, such that God took him, he he left boxing, and he began to be a traveling evangelist. And he was in this town setting up the tent and the chairs and getting ready for this this service um, where he was going to preach the gospel. And a group of these young punks came into the tent and started mocking him. And came close to him. And the leader of the group slapped him on his left cheek. So he turned his other cheek. And he slapped that cheek. And this champion boxer said, 
I have no further instructions from the Lord. Now, he might have been pressing that a little bit too literally, okay? But I would advise you not to be mocking champion boxers. You don't know that. By the way, you can't read a book by its cover. if you ain't, You've not been on the streets if you hadn't learned that lesson. But look back at the text. Bless those who curse you, who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This word bless here can have the meaning of both to do good or, or to pray for good. And in this context, the primary thought is probably that pray for good. I mean, we saw in Luke 6 where he did say not only to pray for our enemies, but to do, do good to them. Good as he defines it, by the way. Because, you know, as I was coming up, doing good to my enemy would have been knuckle sandwich. But that's not, that's not how Christ loves. The word blessed here in this context probably has the primary sort of target as that, that praying for good. Bless is the opposite in our text of curse. And the curse here is to call down evil, to invoke a curse on someone, to, to cry out for their destruction. So here we're being told to pray for the good of our persecutors. Especially their salvation. To intercede for them. Think about Pastor Miller who went and interceded. What a beautiful picture of the gospel and of Christ. To sacrifice himself and go all those miles on foot to save his enemy. So many ways he could have rationalized his way out of that, right? That we would do. I am to cry out to God for the genuine good of the one that's persecuting me. I'm to intercede for them. So it's not just enough to, return, to avoid returning evil for evil. And we're going to talk about that as we move forward in, in verse 17. And it's not just to seek to banish evil feelings. Toward, notice how feelings-centric we are. It's to sincerely ask for their blessing. And listen, if you don't know this is very hard, you really are pretty new in the faith, I would say. I'll tell you this too. If you can't do this, don't become a pastor. Because you have to do this all the time. But it's very hard. Why? It's so contra our flesh. But it's truly sanctifying as we press into what God commands us to. We don't look for the feeling, well, I can't actually genuinely do that until I feel like doing that. That's hogwash. He commands you to do it. He's told you. He's empowered you to do it. Now you do it in faith. Generally, it goes like this. Obey God and the feelings will come. And they may not come. And they may come and go. But he's worthy of this pressed into obedience. But this is very hard for us. It's easier to just give that word back. Give that evil back. Give that punch back. But God sanctifies us here as in everywhere else. And here as in everywhere else in the Christian life. We are to joyfully follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that we have to love God being hated. This is not a banishment of, 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 of those kind of prayers in the Psalms. And it's not a, a wiping out of the sixth commandment where we don't have the, uh, you know, the responsibility to promote life. None of that. But it's just talking about when we're personally persecuted and assaulted, we are to respond like Jesus. See, Jesus walked this way, and he's calling us. What, is, what does he say? Follow me. Follow me. Luke 23, 33 to 34. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, Jesus, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Great other sermon. We can't talk about that today. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
And even in the midst of that, they're casting lots to divide his clothes. The people he's talking about don't have any idea who he is, really, and what they're really doing. And Jesus models for us what he calls us to when he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When people are opposing us and and coming after us and persecuting us for the faith, they don't really understand and know intellectually that they are actually in that moment fighting against and hating and, and mistreating God. They just don't like who we are and what we're saying. So they're trying to to stop it and to stop stop us. But Jesus has that attitude. Well, did he expect his followers, though, to do that? And does God work that into the hearts of his followers? Well, we know he does because of the commands in our, our verse today. But what about Stephen? Remember Stephen in Acts 7. Stephen was nothing more than a faithful witness. And what happened to Stephen? They took him out and they stoned him to death. And in the midst of the rocks raining down, look in verse 60 of chapter 7. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And who was the ringleader of that stoning? Saul of Tarsus. So did God answer Stephen's prayer? Of course He did. This is hard for us, isn't it? He says, listen, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Here, here, listen, remember, it's not really about you. If you're being persecuted for the name of Jesus, it's not really about you. It's about Him. And just what they did to Him, they'd like to do to you. So I have to remember some things when I'm in the midst of being opposed for the name of Jesus. What did Jesus say to His disciples that their response should be to persecution for His name? Rejoice and leap for joy when you're persecuted for the name of Jesus. Why? Because so they treated the true prophets. This is a sign that the Spirit of God's at work in you. If people reject you and abuse you and revile you because you're following Jesus, that is a really, really good sign that Christ is in you. Now, if they reject you and talk bad about you because you're a jerk, that's another thing. But if you're seeking to lovely, gently, but faithfully follow Christ and your life and your lips are proclaiming His grace and His gospel, some people are going to like it and some people are going to hate it and they're going to come after you. And listen, I know it's hard to be mocked on social media. I get that. I know there's some pressure. Right? But even another layer when it's in person and even another layer when it's physical. So how do, I, how do I do this, Jesus? Well, number one, remember it's a command. He's commanding us to live this way because He's lived this way for us. And then we need to remember some stuff. When Paul was being opposed and asking for prayer, and you know Paul suffered a lot for preaching the gospel. One of the things he, he told the church and how they could fight the war with him was some stuff to remember. So remember... Your primary struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the evil behind that flesh and blood. The ones who are captive to Satan and following his ways. Corey talked about that a little bit this morning. See, that's something we need to remember. In my, in my old life, when I was running from God and going my own way and pursuing and enjoying my sin, yes, I was denying and rejecting and hating God, but I was following the evil one. Who blazed that trail? And every time that I turn from the commandments of God in favor of what I think is right and go my own way, even in a little sense, I'm following the evil one. And those who don't know Jesus and come after you because you, because you do know Jesus, the primary reason is not rooted in them. 
It's the, it's the powers of darkness coming against the gospel that you live and declare. So if I can remember this person standing in front of me with evil looks and words and spit coming out at me, this, my primary wrestling match is not here. This is a manifestation of evil behind the scenes coming after me. Paul says, remember that your primary struggle is not with flesh and blood. There's a kingdom of darkness that you've been delivered from. You're no longer under the dominion of darkness because you've been transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But these people who are in front of you are still under the dominion of darkness. And that's why they're rejecting God's grace and coming after you because you love Christ and believe His gospel. And then the other things we talked about, some of the other things we talked about this morning. Listen, turn, turn in compassion towards this person who's, who's persecuting you. Remember, they're in captivity. They are slaves. They don't know it. But they're slaves to sin. They're captive to the darkness. They're captive to Satan. That's why they hate Christ. And hate Christ and hope that's in you. They're separated from hope in Christ. They're doing this to you because they are lost. And need a Savior. So my calling is higher than winning the fight. I'm not called to win the fight. I'm called to be His light in the midst of this struggle. So I can, in His strength, bless those who persecute me and genuinely pray for their good, especially their salvation, and not return a cursing on them. For the glory of the Father, in and through the Son, by the power of the Spirit, because I'm redeemed and a child of God, I can walk like this and listen to me. It can be my joy. Because it's not about me. Remember, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's Jesus. When He sent His disciples out and He talked about them being rejected, what did He say? They who reject you, reject me. See, this is really about Christ. And so Christ will empower us to, to be confusing to our enemies. I have a good friend whose testimony goes right down these lines. Who, When he went to college, he was a big um, rough and tumble rugby player. And in God's providence, when he went to college, he, God assigned him to room with two not big, not rough, not tumble, kind of nerdy bookworms. But these two little bookworms knew Jesus. And my friend would persecute them and mock them and make fun of them and do bad things to them. And he would go out to rugby practice and he would come home and find his shoes shined. Or he would find a food, some food on the desk. And he'd go out and he'd go to practice and he'd come back and he'd mock them and he'd come back at different occasions and they were doing things for him. They were not returning the cursing. They were not returning the, all of this stuff. And finally it got through to him such that he said, Why are you doing this? Gospel door! And they walked right through it and God converted him through the testimony of these small, nerdy guys who knew Jesus. Who couldn't have won a fight if they'd have both jumped on him at the same time (laughs) with five others of their friends. But they won the battle because they did this. They prayed for him. And they returned a blessing instead of a curse. So genuinely, we're going to talk more about enemies, but genuinely love your enemies in the midst of persecution by blessing instead of cursing. Number two, genuinely love your brothers and sisters in the midst of persecution. The outline is wrong because I didn't change it in mine, but this is verses 15 and 16. Now look at this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's 
there's a there's so much discussion on how to tie these verses together and why why does he start talking about persecution and then bring this up? Why didn't he put these verses up above talking about brotherly love and all of that? Well, there are a lot of different answers to that question, but I believe he intentionally placed these verses in the context of persecution. Why? Because persecution not only tests us personally, it tests us at a church, doesn't it? Because lawlessness will abound, love will grow cold, Christ said. If we don't get our eyes above the sun and keep them there and live in the context of God's grace and depend upon the power of His Spirit, if we get our eyes on our circumstances and what's going on with us, we're going to begin to live in the flesh. And one of the things we're going to start to do is stop loving one another. Persecution, hardship, and stress tends to divide, doesn't it? And some of that is good because it will reveal the false professions from the true professions in the church. But some of that is it will also, if we're not walking by faith and not by sight, if we don't have our eyes on the Lord and His grace, true Christians will start to bite at one another when life is hard. We'll stop rejoicing with one another. See, one of the oldest strategies in the world is divide and conquer. And boy, does the devil try to use that one. Listen, I'm sad to report that in a lot of ways, I'm going to use we as a big we as the church and not just Grace Church. I'm going to use it as the church. During the COVID season, we failed. We failed. Part of that was brought on by fear of death. So come to Sunday school and be set free of that. Right? But the church divided. The church took a test and failed. The church divided quickly under pressure. The church broke off into camps. Uh, uh, One camp was anti-shutdown and anti-vaccine. And anybody that does those things are stupid. And one was pro-shutdown and pro-vaccine. And anybody that doesn't do those things don't love his neighbor. People talked bad about one another. Stopped fellowshipping with one another. Broke off into cliques and camps based on their opinion of what the government was doing. And while one or the other might have been more right at a different time, we failed because we didn't keep our eyes on Him and stay united and fight for unity. If you ever said about your brother and sister that they don't love God and love you because they wouldn't take a vaccine, you need to repent of that and take that before the Lord and confess it. If you ever said about your brother and sister that they were dumb and stupid and not not walking by faith because they did those things, you need to repent of that. And we need to learn all the lessons we can learn from that division that happened with COVID because hotter things are coming. Bigger tests are coming. And we can disagree on things and still walk together in love because the main point is Christ and the gospel. See, we have a responsibility to rejoice with those who rejoice always. We should have stayed unified. We should have prayed for one another. We should have rejoiced in God's grace together and trusted. And we should be able to hear differences of opinion with and learn from one another without separating. Now, yes, the gospel issues we must stand on, right? But a lot of that wasn't that. It wasn't that. And a lot of people who were right about the extent of government's powers dishonored God in the way they acted out of that. And vice versa. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying, look in the mirror. Look at one another. Learn from that. Repent of whatever needs to be repented of from that. So that we can go forth united. And Listen, I am speaking beyond Grace Church. It is about us to some extent. But it's to the church at large. Because hotter persecution is coming that's going to test our unity. And will, will, will we be just those... Easily, very prickly people who can't hear disagreement and pair off and 
fail to love one another. We have a responsibility to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. We need each other. Not just in the ordinary struggles of life, but even more the extraordinary struggles of life and even more when the persecution gets hot. Because why would this be in the context of persecution? Well, persecution brings suffering. It brings suffering. And when the persecution gets hot, some of us may die. We may live in a day at some point when it is either deny Christ or die. And see, there will be grace for that in the time for those who know Him to stand firm. But some of us may die. Some of us may be in prison. Some of us may suffer loss because of our stance in Christ. We're going to need a strong unity to survive that, to hold each other up, to stay faithful on mission, to weep together when necessary, to rejoice together. Always. That's the command about rejoicing, right? So look, look at the next verse. Since we need this and Christ commands it, how do we go forward then? Look, we purpose to, look, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. That doesn't mean we all agree about everything. Yes, we need to agree about the gospel issues. But we can disagree about a lot of stuff and still live in unity together if all of our eyes are on Christ. Politics need not be the dividing line. And there's a whole other issue, a bunch of other issues that divide us. But look, his, look at this command. Live in harmony with one another. Philippians 2, we've talked about that some. Go, go read that again. But we, are, we have a responsibility. The New American Standard says, be of the same mind. The mind of Christ that we've seen. Live in harmony by remaining humble. Again, Philippians 2. Look what the verse says. Live in harmony by not being... Nothing destroys harmony like pride. Nothing destroys harmony like pride. Nothing destroys unity in the church like pride. A lot of us get a lot of... We draw a lot of lines hard and fast that maybe we shouldn't draw so hard and fast. And we don't say it, but we think it's my way or the highway. I'm right and you just need to know that. And I'm going to keep beating you over the head till you realize I'm right. Look what it says there. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. That's a good test, right? Never, ever, ever, ever be wise in your own sight. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Again, see that Godward focus. If I'm focused on Christ and seeing who Christ is and seeing how He's lived for me and therefore how He calls me to live, then we can live together in unity even through great disagreements as long as they're not gospel disagreements. And listen, I even be patient with you over gospel disagreements. I just keep preaching the gospel and hope you, God, by God's grace you come around. But a lot of us are wise in our own sight. Proud. Arrogant. Argumentative. Quick to pounce. And every time we do, we're chipping away at that unity. Yes, theology is important. We, we, we have places where we need to stand. But even theology. Here's the danger with theology. The more you learn, if you're not careful, it'll puff you up. And you'll start beating other people over the head with what you've learned instead of it making you a servant so that you help them. If your theology is not helping those around you, causing you to aggravate those around you, you need to relook at Christ. How patient was He with those disciples? Yes, every once in a while He would say, where's your faith? But that was, He could see in the heart. Right? Never ever be wise in your own sight. 
Never. You feel these bones of pride and you're thinking you're better than somebody else or you know more than them and therefore you're their teachers. And all. I mean, just be careful because we will not have unity. We will not have this one-mindedness. We will not have this harmony if we're walking around haughty. In order to survive in the midst of persecution, we have to love our brothers and sisters with genuine love that that fights for the unity of the church and rejoices with one another when always and weeps with one another when weeping is necessary and seeks to be the servant of all. Remember what we've already studied in verse 12. Outdo one another by being servants, showing honor to those around you. This text is not easy, but this is what God's Spirit works in the hearts of those He saves. And there's a lot of things we could talk about, some of which we will talk about as we move forward in the text. But first of all, just want you to remember, first thing I want you to remember is this is instruction to the church, not the state. This is instruction to individuals in the church on how to live with one another under persecution and with their persecutors. This is not an instruction to the, the state to turn the cheek. It's not promoting a, a universal passivism. All war is not wrong. War is not the sphere of the church to conduct. Secondly, don't primarily live in your pain. Some of us, by not even intentionally, have let our pain become our glasses through which we see everything. I mean, if we're bitter and biting towards those around us, we're wearing our meat glasses. We're living, we're, our pain is the biggest thing in our lives. And so that's just what shapes us. And in a good sense, our pain does shape us, because he, but is your pain making you more like Jesus? That's the question. See, I I need to wear gospel glasses every day so that I see everything through Christ and His grace to me and who I am in Him. Placing my pain in that context and you in that context and everything in that context so that I can rejoice always. So that I can weep with those who weep and serve with those who serve and bless those who persecute because I'm seeing Christ first and it's because He deserves it. Not because... I deserve it. See, if you primarily live with your pain as your biggest thing, it will produce hatred and bitterness. So put on those gospel glasses. Live in the context of His grace and His promises and, yes, His commands. Respond to pain in a gospel-shaped grace like Jesus. How are you passing the test of pain? If pain causes you to isolate, you're failing. It should cause you to press into the body of Christ, not isolate. If pain makes you snippy, we're failing. If we find that bitterness in our heart toward God or man, right, we're failing. But once we really pull back and refocus on who we are and what we deserve, outside of Christ, we deserve condemnation. In Christ, we've received His grace, His presence, His promises. That though life be confusing to us, He's with us in the midst of it and making it all now work for us. And He'll take us all the way home. And the path to home is joyfully, faithfully, trustfully walking in His commandments. So let your God be your primary context and His grace and His gospel through which you see and interpret the world. You want to know if God loves you, look to the cross, not to your circumstances. Those most used of God are those who have suffered the most usually in this world. Remember John Owen, who 11 of his kids, he had 11 kids and they all died. And only one of them made it to adulthood. And that story is repeated. Read the biographies of Spurgeon and his gout and all the other things. And if you read them, you'll be amazed at how productive they were in God's grace and in his gospel, even though they were walking through such deep pain. So, primarily, don't live in your pain. Live in in God's grace and in the gospel. So, number three, do not react or reply in anger. 
I mean, God's word promises in, in Proverbs 15.1, this is a general statement. You know, Proverbs are general statements, right? It's not a guarantee in every particular situation. But generally, this is how it works. A soft answer or a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. You can diffuse an angry person by remaining calm many times. If you're going to be in a job where you have to work with the public, you better learn how to do this. You'll be in sales, you better learn how to do this. See, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Be one who surprises their enemy with kind and gentle words and actions. Like my friend's roommates. More importantly, like your Savior. Who loved his enemies and came and saved us. And so, therefore, number four, pray for those who hurt you. Pray genuinely for them. Remembering their lost condition. Pray for their conversion. Keep the main thing the main thing. Pray for their conversion. Pray for their blessing. Do good to them, although that's not our text. It was in Jesus in Luke 6. And we'll see as we move forward in the text. Pray for their blessing, not their cursing. And then number five, just quickly remember, fight hard for unity. And you have to do that from a stance of humility. Without humility, we will never be successful in fighting for unity. The gospel makes us humble if we get it, doesn't it? That's why Paul could say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom, this is the end of his life, of whom I am chief. The gospel promotes the kind of humility that will protect that unity. So fight hard for humility and unity every day, especially in the midst of persecution. In light of our opening story, remember, if you are trusting in Christ, your pardon was delivered with you standing at the gallows. You were a traitor to God and you were deserving condemnation, but Jesus took the initiative to accomplish your pardon. And to see to it that that good news was delivered to you, granting you faith by His Spirit to bring you into union with Him in forgiveness and righteousness. Jesus made you His enemy, His friend. He sacrificed His rights and privileges to redeem you. He prayed for your blessing. And He calls you to go out into this world and live like Him. One who keeps the gospel foremost in mind. One who seeks actively to make enemies his friend. One who loves his brothers and sisters sacrificially and fights humbly in a servant's attitude for the protection of the unity that God has purchased for his church. So go, Christian, and love your enemies like Christ and for Christ and love one another the way Christ has loved you. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we bow in Your presence amazed at Your grace. If You're at work in us, we are amazed at Your grace. Astonished at Your love for Your enemies. That You would come, the God of gods, and take on a true human nature, be born in a stable, Live in perfect fulfillment of your own law. Die to pay the penalty for our sins. Be raised, reign for us, come again for us because you love us and have sacrificed yourself to save us. Help us, Lord, to be recalibrated to an experience and a knowledge of and a growing knowledge of your love for us. As we do, we'll be transformed in the way we love others even our enemies. Lord, any who don't know You, I pray that You would work conversion in their hearts as You have for us. And those of us to you do, who do know You, humility. Humility to bless our persecutors, to not return a curse. Humility to love and serve one another. Humility to keep the Gospel the main thing so that we can be light and salt in this dark world. Grant us forgiveness and cleansing from all sin and faith in You.
to walk better and more in line with the new life we've been raised to. Help us to truly be living sacrifices who operate on the basis of genuine love, the love the Spirit of God has poured in our hearts, the love we see manifest in our Savior. For it is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. You may remain seated. We're going to transition to baptism now. If Eric and Chris York would come forward, Rayleigh Mills, Mary Walker, we will proceed with baptisms. And baby, you can take pictures from this side, okay? But if y'all would come forward. These are coming forward to make profession of faith. They uh, doesn't mean they were all recently saved. Some were. But... Um, But they are coming forward to be baptized, not to depend upon the water to cleanse them, but in testimony of faith in Christ, knowing that his blood has cleansed them from their sin, that they stand now righteous in his sight because of their union with him. So what you see pictured in baptism today is union with Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection to newness of life in Christ. And listen to me, you may not believe this. This this today is as much about you as it is about them. Because this is a means of grace. This is a sacrament that Christ left. And He works in our hearts as these are baptized to remind us of our baptism, of our union with Christ, of the fact that we have died and been buried and been raised to new life in Jesus. So this, even this will, as we see the gospel in it and look in it and see Christ who died and was raised for our sins, it fortifies our faith and helps us to walk by faith and not by sight in this dark world in which we live. But these are coming forward to profess faith in Christ, to follow Him in His command to be baptized. And we are rejoicing this morning to receive them into these waters and to his sacrament of baptism. So, did anybody want to go first? Riley, you want to go first? Did you first in line? Anything you want to say before you're baptized? Okay. All right, we'll let you be seated. It's like a hot tub, isn't it? Riley, are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? On the basis of your faith and your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Looks like Mary's next. You may see that. All right. Want to hold your nose. Mary, are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Her glasses. Chris, are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? Lord, yes. <laughs> All right. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God. If you couldn't, if you couldn't hear that answer, he said, Lord, yes. That was awesome. Eric, did you want to say anything before you baptize? Praise God. You want to sit down? Eric, are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? All right. On the basis of your profession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Praise God. Got another towel over there. Uh, now you see why I took my watch off. I don't trust it when it says water resistant. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for these brothers and sisters. We thank you for their profession of faith in you. We thank you for the fact that through faith we are united to you, Lord Jesus, in your death, burial, and resurrection. We are raised to newness of life. We are raised to a spirit-empowered life of following Jesus and being growingly like you, Lord Jesus. More and more dying to sin and living to righteousness because you are at work in us. Not just bringing us to faith, but growing us in grace. So, thank you for your amazing grace in these lives. Thank you for uh, how you are and will use them in your church. And for how we can uh, shoulder up with them arm in arm for the gospel and be a blessing in their lives. So, bless them and grow them and protect them. And Lord, help us to do everything we can do to include them in the body life of your church. We give you praise, honor, and glory and ask it all in Jesus.